This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit, the premier event in aerospace connectivity. Visit gcasummit.com to learn more. That's gcasummit.com. Here in the Airline Weekly Lounge, we pride ourselves on discussing airlines all over the world, but today it's going to be a very Delta-heavy episode. There are a couple of reasons for this. First, at the time of this recording, Delta is the only major airline to have reported fourth quarter earnings, and of course, we'll be talking about that report. And the second reason it's going to be a Delta-heavy show, our own Seth Kaplan was in the halls of Delta headquarters this week interviewing CEO Ed Bastian for a cover story in next Monday's issue. And while he was there, he spoke with Steve Sear, who is Delta's president of International. We'll have that interview later in the show. Trust me, it's well worth waiting around for. I'm Jason Cottrell, vice president of Airline Weekly. Sit back and relax. You're in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Delta reported its fourth quarter earnings, and they came in a little better than expected. The Q4 operating margin was a healthy 11%. That was a bit of a surprise because of a surge in revenue in the last three months. In Airline Weekly, we called it tremendous revenue strength. Seth, what was behind this revenue strength? Well, a little of it was actually because of less fortuitous cost strength. I'm talking about higher fuel costs, which in some parts of the world uh, translate into automatic uh, higher fuel surcharges. Uh, look, there are places where um, when commodity prices are rising, that's good for revenue strength. Also, I'm talking about a place like Brazil, uh, you know, where, where the fact that commodities are more expensive is is, is a good thing for, uh, for travel demand, particularly corporate uh, travel demand. But look, Mainly, we're talking about a, a a very strong U.S. economy right now, uh, and a, a particularly strong European economy. Um, real strength from there. I think that's something a lot of people really didn't see coming in, in 2017. People were nervous, uh, you know, with Brexit and the, the still all kinds of uncertainty related to that. But the reality is that right now uh, things are strong in Europe, and uh, that is particularly good news for an airline like Delta, um, you know, which which just gets a lot of its business uh, from there. And look, even places um, where things have been tougher, Asia unit revenues were up about one percent there. That's despite longer average stage lengths, which usually push down longer flights tend to push down unit revenues. Uh, but Delta managed higher unit revenues there. And that was the that was the first time their unit revenues in Asia were up in nearly five years. So strength all around, uh, you know, some places doing very well, and then even the laggards improving. You mentioned fuel, which played an outsized role this quarter. Fuel costs spiked 23% as Delta paid $1.93 per gallon. That was up from $1.60 a year ago. That's quite a big rise. But we wrote in Airline Weekly that Delta seems pretty relaxed about oil prices. Explain that. Yeah, and that's something, by the way, I asked Bastian about um, and, and that you'll see coming up in the uh, next week's newsletter. Um, you know, and, and he explained, and, and this is something that a lot of airline CEOs have said that you know, fuel price volatility is 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 the worst thing for airlines. You know, airlines can can adapt to fuel 
at, at virtually any levels. Like he said to me, hey, we were making money when fuel was a hundred bucks and, and more a barrel, when oil rather was a hundred bucks and more a barrel. Obviously, still still well below that. Um, and and so you know, as long as prices are relatively stable, and even if they inch up a bit, um, there are some benefits to that. And and he clarified for me. He said, look, it, it's not that we root for fuel to be expensive. No airline does. You know, when fuel isn't very cheap, it does force airlines to uh, you know to 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 think more critically about their their capacity decisions. That's true of all airlines. Uh, and so uh, Delta, uh, very comfortable at least with uh, with fuel at these levels, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't sort of spike quickly, uh, they kind of feel like they can they can adapt rather easily to, uh, to, to these prices. You say that no airline routes for fuel increases. Would you say that's true of even the Gulf carriers? Well, I should specify, you know, clearly uh, U.S. carriers uh, more so than than really any other airlines in the world uh, don't root for fuel increases. Um, and that's because particularly when fuel is expensive, usually the U.S. dollar is also weak and it creates all kinds of uh, other issues. Yeah, you're right. There are places in the world, uh, the Arabian Gulf, Russia, you know, where, where there are at least um, you know, mitigating revenue benefits when when uh, when fuel is expensive and sure enough yeah those those carriers seem to be struggling more now uh, than they were a few years ago i mean i think there's you know there are various reasons for that for all they're just you know a lot bigger and so there's all this uh you know perhaps excess capacity and so forth but no you're you're right there there are, there are places in the world where it's a a, a much closer call uh, than it is in the u.s where very clearly uh you know th- those airlines prefer low fuel prices, uh, even though there are offsetting benefits when when they're more expensive as they are now. All right, back to Delta. Overall in 2017, the airline posted a 14% operating margin compared to 16% in both 2016 and 2015. Seth, back at the end of 2016, we speculated that that would probably be the peak of this golden age in the U.S. airline business. That seems to be the case, but are you surprised or not surprised that Delta has seen profits decline only slightly? Well, I think the surprise is, is sort of how it has happened. No, I mean, it, it, you know, we didn't expect any you know, alarming deterioration. It was just that you could see fuel prices inching up and uh, unit revenues inching down. So the surprise is kind of how we got to where we are right now, which is that unit revenues, I mean, look, you know, there's all kinds of revenue strength right now. And it's not only Delta reporting that very clearly in, in, in the, the US right now. Uh, all airlines are experiencing this revenue strength. Uh, and yet costs, including non-fuel costs, are are up strongly too. Look, no surprise that airlines are, are having to give uh, their employees the big raises that they that they promised them. Uh, you know, hey, they, you know, a lot of these airlines were bankrupt a decade ago and basically told their employees, hey, you stick with us through this, we'll make it up to you. And now, now that, that bill is coming due. But basically, you know, costs are up maybe even uncomfortably more than airlines expected, particularly with fuel costs now up somewhat significantly off their lows um, but but then there's more revenue strength so uh, so so the margins are maybe somewhere around you know where you would have guessed um, but it's on higher revenues but also higher costs uh, than, than than most people would have guessed 
And Delta's margins are still comfortably ahead of what American and United are reporting, but they too are seeing revenue strength. We'll talk more about those airlines in our next episode. And speaking of United, they are now set to challenge both American and Delta with a true premium economy product. Not at all surprising. You know, they, they were, it was something that clearly interested them. Uh, the, the timing was just trickier for them because they had rather recently committed to new long haul cabins that didn't include premium economy. So they spent all this money on Polaris, their new business class cabin. Um, and that's what they were going out with. You know, shortly after there was kind of no turning back from that, American and Delta both uh, said they were going to have a, a true premium economy product, uh, as you said. So we're talking not about just extra legroom seats. We're talking about you know w- more width and more recline and better food, all the rest of it, uh, like a lot of airlines around the world have, but like you know, even Air Canada, for example, but um, like no US airline had, had yet had. Uh, so United uh, you know, clearly has done the math and, and, and said, look, we... Um, Need to have this. Uh, the basically the, the you know the cost of not doing it uh, and then spilling business to American and Delta was greater than the cost of of changing course here. Uh, that too, by the way, has Dead Bastion about that. His response will be in in uh, next week's issue. But uh, you know, generally speaking, he seems rather relaxed about it. He's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. So uh, you know, made sense for us, and uh, you know, uh, so so of course, of course, United is doing it too, and it makes sense for us to thank our sponsor. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit, which brings together the world's largest airlines and suppliers to discuss best practices in global connected solutions for the passenger, airline efficiency, and cutting-edge services. Visit GCASummit.com and use promo code SETH and you'll receive 10% off registration. That's GCASummit.com. Promo code S E T H. Seth, is that the first time you've been a promo code? <laughs> yeah, a gr- great event. I was there last year. I hope they're not vastly overestimating uh, the 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 power of of my name. <laughs> the power of S E T H. <laughs> All right. For the remainder of the show, I'm going to step aside and roll a short interview between Seth and Delta's Steve Sear, who is the president of international and executive vice president of global sales. Steve is responsible for the Asia Pacific, Atlantic, and Latin regions, as well as alliance strategy, partner development, and global sales. Here's Seth with Steve talking about all of those areas. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. It's a pleasure. Sitting here in Atlanta, I want to start actually with with that. Uh, you know, there's there's probably no hub as important to one airline as, as this one is to Delta. Certainly among the U.S. carriers, you know, you think about American and United, there's not one hub that is for them what Atlanta is for Delta. And so, you know, we always figure, well, Atlanta must be a, a, a disproportionate part of, of, of Delta's success. Um the local economy here, the, the corporate travel community, um, what is it that the people here do uh, who, who fly Delta very frequently? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Seth. Uh, yes, Atlanta is the heart and soul of Delta and our network, and arguably the most important asset that we have um, in the world. And we're lucky to be here in the Atlanta uh, community because we get amazing support from all of our uh, key corporate uh, peers in the community. And whether they're traveling on Delta or providing uh, their services uh, like Coca-Cola on our flights, um, to be part of that uh, really uh, communal effort, uh, that's what really makes this successful. And just 
in terms of the sectors here, uh, you know, we think of uh, other Delta hubs, you know, Detroit, obviously everybody knows uh, automotive. I guess there's nothing quite like that. You mentioned Coca-Cola. There's not this one dominant sector. Uh, is it just sort of a lot of uh, other little things, or is there something that kind of jumps out at you when you see when you see the numbers that you're able to look at in terms um, of who, who fills your flights here? Yeah, I think maybe it's, it might be a little more fragmented than some cities where, like in L.A., you see a lot of entertainment, or Detroit, it's auto. Uh, New York with the banking and consulting, uh, but what you see here is is some of the top Fortune 500 companies, whether it's uh, Delta or Coke or Home Depot or UPS. Uh, but you also see it as the uh, the U.S. headquarters for uh, many companies, um, such as a Mercedes-Benz or a Porsche, and you see it as the U.S. Southeast headquarters for lots of companies like AT&T. Um, uh, Siemens is a great example. So there's actually a huge employee base here in Atlanta, but it might not be the some from just the companies that are based here. And speaking of uh, international, it's a lot of what you do. In fact, you, you spend a lot of your time far away from here. I'm thrilled to be here with you today. So, <laughs> so uh, I know um, one maybe almost surprising bright spot lately has been Europe. Uh, maybe more than any of us have really expected. European economies have have held up rather well. And I know that um, we've heard, you know, in, in the recent earnings call and investor day, um, that uh, European point of sale is is doing really well. Just curious, did that include the UK too? And everybody's wondering with Brexit and everything. Is that is that mostly continental Europe or does is that even include the UK? Yeah, no, you're right, Seth. The transatlantic has been surprisingly um, our most uh, uh, important and, and profitable entity in the last year and, and the surprising part of that is given the headwinds we would have expected from terrorism the brexit um, just a lot of uh, challenges on, on the continent there uh, despite that the corporate demand in particular has been strong from both points of sale and that includes um, the uk so while there's still uncertainties and you're never out of the woods. Uh, we like what we're seeing from both continental Europe and the UK um, for travel to and from the US. And again, particularly the corporate sector has been very strong. Delta claims plausibly that you take uh, uh, revenue premiums over your your competitors um, for you know more reliable operation products, so forth. Um, so I want to flip that around. You talk a lot about it, things going right. Um, what are the top uh, Complaints that you hear from corporate customers when you go out and talk to people and say, "Well, you know, what what could we be doing better? Uh, you know, what are things that that might uh, cause you to think twice about flying Delta? What are what are the things that people ask for or complain about?" No, I appreciate that. The the customers, it's interesting. They really appreciate our spirit to be continually improving, and we're data survey junkies. So we we get as much information as we can from our customers, whether it's through the Pulse surveys that you might see when you're taking the flights or our advisory boards um, and the like. But one of the things that they say we actually do well relative to our competition, but we know we can do better, is how we continue to coordinate and cooperate with our partners. And we really are trying to achieve a seamlessness that nobody does real well today. And we're going to be doing that through technology and through policy and through people alignment. I think that's something unique to Delta and our partners that we're going to be able to execute 
and that's what we're going to be focusing on pretty intently in 2018. Yeah. And of course, your competitors are, are aware. I mean, they talk about the revenue gap, and and, uh, and in fact, they've you know they've been improving in, in important ways. Uh, you know, United in particular is, is is a considerably more reliable airline than uh, than it than it was a couple of years ago. American too. Does it make it hard? Uh, you know, as you've sort of I, I hate to use a cliche, but you know, pick the lowest hanging fruit. Um, uh, you know, once you've got your reliability, you know, once you've got your punctuality at a certain point, once you're losing as few bags as you're losing, and then your competitors still have that the, that room to make gains, does it make it hard to keep that gap where it is uh, operationally, and then by extension maybe financially? I don't think that makes it hard at all. We know we have a target on our back. And that actually inspires us to make sure we continue to not only maintain the gap that we have to our competitors, but to widen it. And having lived through a lot of downtimes in this industries in the in the industry in years past, that also is inspiration to make sure we continue to get better every day. You mentioned the global partners, um, and, and and very clearly there's a focus on the uh, on the joint venture and equity partners. They're uh, they're kind of in their own their own class with you, um, as distinct from maybe some of the other more arm's length uh, Sky Team um, partners. Um, I, I believe you were at the event with Jet Airways uh, when Air France was announcing everything. Am I correct? Correct. So Air France is is entering into uh, clearly a, a joint venture with Jet, Jet Airways. Um, what I'm wondering is what is Delta's relationship uh, with with Jet Airways? Because you're not a joint venture partner, but the, but they're obviously something more than just any old airline to you. Yes, no, we're very good partners, Seth. We um, as part of the Air France KOM Jet Airways joint venture, we're an extension on that across the Atlantic. So we're able to capture the connecting passengers that go through Paris, Charles de Gaulle, or through Amsterdam Schiphol, or through London Heathrow with Virgin in order to be able to capture the demands that are going beyond the JV between Europe and India and into North America. So we've seen quite a significant gain in, in passengers and revenue by having a really strong code share agreement with JET. And of course, Delta's feelings about the, the Arabian Gulf carriers are, are well documented. Is that uh, a way to claw back some of that? Because because that's I mean that's a part of the world where 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 that competition, the Gulf competition, matters a lot to Delta is, is to a place like India, where where the, where the Gulf hubs tend to be convenient. As I say, there's no more competitive industry than the airline industry. Um, but not only does that really help us compete more effectively against the carriers in the region, but India as a, as a point of sale uh, travel market is, is maybe the fastest growing, if my last data was correct, in the world. So we want to be able to have a presence with our partners to be able to capture, uh, to capture that revenue and, frankly, be able to fly where our customers want us to fly. So that's a nice win-win for Jet, for Air France, KLM, Virgin, and for Delta. I want to ask you about another partner who's not a joint venture partner, but clearly um, matters to Delta, an equity partner in this case, uh, China Eastern, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, of course, um, based in Shanghai. But what I'm curious about, you know, there's this big new airport coming to Beijing where there are going to be all these new opportunities. Um, what is that new airport and the partnership with China Eastern um, going to mean to Delta going forward? All of this, of course, in the context that here you have this new joint venture with Korean Air. Yep. No, thank you. The new Beijing airport is going to be spectacular, and I think it will be the largest 
um, international airport in the world when it's built in the, at the end of 19, early 20. Uh, we're going to be positioned real well. With our uh, equity partner, China Eastern, we already have the number one position in Shanghai. And as the Beijing final slot approvals get announced, we expect China Eastern to be one of the leading positions in Beijing as well. So we'll have not only great uh, coverage into Shanghai and Beijing, the two most important markets uh, in China, but also the beyond networks of China Eastern through Shanghai and through Beijing. You got your A350s now uh, fly, just beginning to fly to uh, to Asia. And I actually asked Ed Bastian earlier about you know, how Premium Select is doing. That's the we're going to run that uh, as our cover story interview in, in Airline Weekly. Um, let me ask you. So you you've got uh, all of these different fleet types with different capabilities, different amounts of capacity, uh, and then you've also got uh, the corporate uh, travel customers who you speak with. Um, so. When you're talking to the route planners, you know, I'm sure there's one thing that might make sense just operationally, you know, the perfect plane in terms of its range capabilities and capacity and all that. And then, but then uh, do you ever have to say to him, hey, you know what, I've got these really important customers who just want this product in a certain place. Can you make that happen, even though it might not work uh, uh, as well by some other metrics? Um I wish it was that easy, uh, but unfortunately, it's it's a pretty scientific approach to where uh, to where we end up flying. You have to look at the market demands. You look at the at the slots availability, the type of aircraft. But to your point, typically in the markets where there is strong uh, corporate demand, the, the network finds its way there because that's you know as we like to say, you follow the money. And I think a good example of this is going to be with our new partnership with Korean Air uh, in Incheon. In fact, we just moved last week into the new Terminal 2, so we'll be co-located with just uh, Korean, Delta, and Air France, KLM. That's going to be a game changer. It's already rated the number one uh, efficient and customer-friendly airport in the world. And this new facility, I was just there, uh, is just spectacular. And uh, the, the transit opportunities will take our MCTs from uh, 90 down to 45. Uh, it's just a beautiful facility, customer-friendly, uh, great new lounges. So we know our passengers are going to be taken care of. And in our old environment, where through Narita, we probably had up to 10 connecting markets in 2012, and, and it's continuing to shrink as, as Sunday opens up. Through Seoul, Incheon, now we'll have up to 80 destinations, so our corporate travelers will be able to get to wherever they want. And for any listeners who don't know, MCT is minimum connect times. Yes. Uh, how long it takes to come to Atlanta? How much time do you need to get from, from one gate uh, uh, to the other? I want to ask you about um, IATA's new distribution capability, NDC. What does that mean for Delta in, in terms of how you market your products? Is that, does it mean a lot now? Is it going to mean a lot uh, going forward? It's you know the NDC is is a technology. Uh, we're really focused on making sure our branded fare products get displayed in the best way. So it's it's not so much what technology is in place. What's more important is our customers get to see whether it's basic economy or the main cabin or Comfort Plus or our new premium select that you see on the new 350s and ultimately our our Delta One product. We want the customers to be able to see, digest, and consume, and make it a really 
good decision with full transparency. That's what we want to see out of NDC. When you talk with the big travel management companies that work with the big uh, corporate uh, travel clients you have, and you're negotiating with them, I'm just curious, what is it that you're negotiating? What are the kinds of things that uh, that, that you're talking with them about? What are the concessions you make or the concessions they yeah, make? We're not... Uh, you know, we don't disclose any contracts that, that we put forth. But you're basically uh, incentivizing uh, revenue generation in any agreement, whether it's with a corporation or a TMC. So you're, you're trading off uh, how much revenue you can get. When you negotiate with the with potential joint venture partners um there too i mean we can imagine some of the, some of the kinds of things that you have to talk about yeah, the way you share revenues and all kind of thing um are, are there uh, now having been through you know, a number of these are are there certain kinds of things that are that are more difficult more contentious uh than others time and again before you get to a successful agreement um you know the the negotiations tend to be very consistent with all of our customers there are uniquenesses based on markets and and size differences potentially uh, but in the end anytime there's any uh, hurdle or challenge all we have to do is put the customer as as really the decision point and that usually gets everybody to common ground really quick and because we structure our joint ventures as a P&L full uh, metal neutral sharing uh, structure that also is very different from any other joint venture from our competitors. So that it doesn't help us to be parochial. We really need to figure out what's going to be best for the customer. And to be clear, what you're saying is that, that the your competitors have revenue sharing joint ventures, but the fact that you share costs also with your partners is that's, what's different for Delta. That's correct. One question I would ask you: uh, June, Air France's new uh, low cost unit is that a part of of the transatlantic joint venture? Yes, June will be part of the transatlantic joint venture. Could they potentially fly to the the U.S. as far as you know? Um, I believe they they can. I don't know if that's in their immediate plans. The latest joint venture that you announced uh, is one with WestJet in in, in Canada uh, that follows you know the Aero Mexico one that's just started, the Korean one which is coming soon. WestJet will be your first low-cost carrier joint venture partner. I know Gold and Brazil is an equity partner, but the first you know, joint venture partner uh, that's a low-cost carrier, so that's something different. Uh, do you see it that way? Well, I don't know. Is the negotiation different? Is the execution going to be different? Um, no, that's a great point. We're so excited about the uh, which will be the exclusive joint venture between the U.S. Uh, and Canada for Delta and WestJet, and it's such a huge, important market. In fact, it has more corporate revenue uh, between the U.S. and Canada than between U.S. and Mexico. So it's 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 really an important part of our network puzzle. They will always focus on low, low cost, but what I think you'll see WestJet do um, is let their employee-centric and their customer-centric culture really shine in this uh, joint venture as they continue to grow their services across the border and ultimately um, overseas as they take on their 787. So we like their position, but mostly it's because they have the same culture that we have, taking care of your employees, who in turn will take care of their customers. And that will drive the best results for Delta and WestJet. Is there anything about how Delta looks today that's because of something you learned from any of any of your partners when you look around the world, whether it's the uh, you know Air France, KLM, Virgin, well, either Virgin, right, <laughs> Australia, Virgin Atlantic, and, and, and so forth? One of the great things about these partnerships is it can be humbling as you see how our partners can also be best in class in certain areas. And, and 
A good example that I like to think about is in the digital space, our partners KLM and our partners Air Mexico are both considered uh, world-class, uh, even across industries, not just airline industry, and how they approach the market through digital channels, and that's something that uh, we value and we'll learn from. Back to the U.S. for a minute, and talking uh, instead of big international market, well, I guess there's, there's an impact here for international, but um, small cities, it's been interesting, uh, after, you know, a decade and a half of just kind of airlines seemingly slashing service to, to smaller cities, there's been kind of a resurgence. Uh, it's United that's sort of been out there particularly, I mean, in their case, from their perspective, playing catch-up and going back in. We've seen American making some of those moves. Um, uh, Delta obviously has a lot of that kind of service, particularly in the southeastern U.S., but from from you know from Minneapolis to lots of other hubs. Um, so, as those airlines do that, does that uh, pressure Delta in in any particular way? Uh, it'll take away an advantage that you have in terms of serving those kinds of markets. No, the the smaller markets are critically important at Delta, and and you might see upgaging into those markets because we feel that we can provide better products by moving away from the 50-seat uh, jets into the mainline um, offerings. And we see that uh, result in higher revenue premiums relative to our competition and higher corporate share. So we, we track that closely, and we know how valuable those – I wouldn't even call them small cities. They're really big sort of non-hub cities in the U.S. If you're in New York or Los Angeles and you're talking to uh, a, a – uh, the, the, the potential corporate travel client, let's say, who, who, who flies American, uh, you have to give your quick pitch. Why why should you switch uh, to flying Delta? What do you what do you tell them in, in an elevator, so to speak? I promise them that they'll have the absolute best customer service if they give us a try, because it's our people that differentiate ultimately the experience that you're going to get when you fly Delta. We all have. Uh, you know, newer planes and, and, and newer products, whether it's, although Delta is the leader in Wi-Fi and, and online technology, but really the service is what counts. And that's when, the, when you survey your customers and you know what's their priority, they need and value service the most. Steve, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Seth. That was Seth Kaplan with Steve Sear, Delta's President of International and Executive Vice President of Global Sales. And remember, coming up in next Monday's issue of Airline Weekly, it's Delta CEO Ed Bastian in a cover story interview. Subscribers can look forward to that. If you're not a subscriber, hop on airlineweekly.com and click free trial. We'll send it to you. You've been listening to episode 89 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a whole bunch of new material as earnings season is now in full swing. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Visit GCASummit.com and use promo code SETH and you'll receive 10% off registration. That's GCASummit.com, promo code S-E-T-H.